This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, religion, and all the things with me, Adam Smith. Beginning in 2008, K-12 schools, universities, and even after-school camps began focusing on STEM, STEAM, and everything in between. Science, technology, engineering, and math education and careers continue to be America's soup du jour, especially for those who historically were systemically shut out of STEM by racism, patriarchy, colonialism, and anti-Blackness. Young professionals like my guest today have had to overcome systems and structures to achieve a degree in engineering, and the challenges to a degree are just the beginning. Being the only woman, the only black woman in spaces dominated and controlled by whiteness and maleness, all the while being committed to easing the path for the next sister in the pipeline makes me a black woman engineer a calling beyond performance in the classroom. In this episode, we're joined by my friend, colleague, and forever student, Rochelle Forney. Rochelle Forney is an electrical engineer and is currently a VS. VESC Electrical and Integration Engineer for Ford Motor Company, where she is heavily involved in the commercial truck electrical design and implementation process. Rochelle is passionate about mentoring and inspiring local high school and college students to pursue STEM education. As a STEM advocate and mentor, she believes transparency of real-life challenges helps students relate to the highs and lows of obtaining a STEM degree. Prior to Ford, she worked for First Energy, starting as a mailroom clerk and transitioned to various roles such as smart grid team associate and residential solar renewable energy program manager. Rochelle's speaking engagements include the Nesby 45 conference workshop entitled From Mailroom to Electrical Engineer at a Fortune 500 Company. Rochelle's future goal is to encourage and inspire students to pursue STEM degrees and rise above their fear of academic challenges associated with these areas of study. She believes that mentoring and exposing students to professionals in STEM fields can reduce intimidation and bias perceptions associated with intimidating classes. Rochelle is a graduate of the University of Akron, where she was just the second Black woman to receive a Bachelor's of Science in Electrical Engineering. She is currently a graduate student at the University of Detroit, where she is MSPD candidate and will graduate in December of 2023. She enjoys spending time with her family and her son, Timothy. Rochelle, welcome. Let's get uncomfortable. Rochelle, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Um, tell us a little bit about where you are in the world and what you're what you're doing. Thank you, Adam, for having me. Hello, everyone. I'm Rochelle Forney. I'm an electrical engineer at Ford Motor Company. I am in a BESC integration space, which basically means I'm the liaison between the engineering community and the program management community, 
for electrical modules in Aviator and Ford Explorers, Lincoln Aviators and Ford Explorers. I am currently pursuing my master's degree, which I defend my thesis on AI, artificial intelligence and product development. And um, I have a 20-year-old son, Timothy, that I love dearly. How is Timothy doing? He's doing well. Thank you for asking. Talk a little bit about why electrical engineering for you and a little bit about your journey, not just to engineering, but through electrical engineering. Okay. So why engineering for me? So I um, initially had Timothy when I was 19 I was at Tiffin University and I was initially majoring for um, business international studies. And when I got pregnant, obviously I couldn't stay on campus. So I moved back to Akron home to kind of figure out how I would raise the child and um, provide for him. Upon that, I um, started working at First Energy as a male clerk and um, just working an hourly job. And I decided to go back to school for engineering. I wasn't exactly sure which discipline I wanted to pursue. So at the time, I met with one of the um, engineering advisors at the University of Akron, and we had a conversation about each of the disciplines of engineering. And um, to be honest, it was a simple conversation. Um, He was a mechanical engineer, and obviously he was in favor of mechanical engineering. But I was a girly girl, and still am. And I didn't want to get dirty. So he was like, it's like, Emmy isn't for me. Biomedical, um, I've never really, you know, been interested in pursuing the hospital environment because I, you know, I just always bloody environments kind of like was, was a fear of mine. And then civil engineering, it just didn't intrigue my interest as much as electrical. And then in my mind, I'm like, electricity is always protected from the elements. So let's see that. <laughs> let's see what happens with this. Um, not knowing at the time that I had selected a very difficult major and um, it would be a very, very interesting journey ahead of me. Interesting, yet challenging, difficult, and um, a very big pivotal point in my life by making the decision to pursue electrical engineering as a single, as a single mother raising um, a young child. So that's how I got started. Well, and one of the challenges and you're you're working at first energy so for the folks who aren't in the northeast corridor first energy provides electricity to a huge part of that part of the country so at this point rochelle is you know went to tiffin was considering herself running track was being a student all the things and then has a son like so many of us and life gets in the way right and so then we come home we have to figure out what to do and literally working in the mailroom of a company that provides electricity for so many people talk a little bit about Rochelle talk a little bit about the how you got you know the the conversation you had with the I think it was the CEO of First Energy at the time and what because that's really interesting God puts these awesome opportunities in people's paths and some of us are afraid to walk forward in them but you really weren't talk a little bit about that experience, that one experience and that impact that it had on your progression to not just a co-op, but then continuing to do your work in electrical engineering. Sure. Um, 
So um, basically, I would work in the mailroom and First Energy was a huge company and had several subsidiaries. So as I would toss mail, I became more intrigued on what what is all these locations, you know, like what do they do? Um, There were nuclear plants, there were coal burning plants. So one day my supervisor signed us up for a round table with the CEO. Um, And when I say us, it's the staff in the mailroom. And um, I was so excited because I got the opportunity to hear the vision of the CEO and, and see where the company was going in the future. And, and to be honest with you, I never knew that that would be a day that changed my life. The interesting part about it was, I think, as Adam said, you know, God has a plan for you and, and a purpose. And so I remember that morning, I was so excited. I woke up early, um, got Timothy ready for daycare. I had one suit. I wear the suit to interviews, to church. I only own one suit. So um, I packed my suit and um, my regular attire that I would wear to work to toss mail. And and I proceeded to work. I got there. I changed my clothes and I got ready for the round table. And at the round table, I made sure I sat up front. I had a notebook to take notes because I really was interested in what our CEO had to say. I wanted to learn. So he gave his um, speech about, you know, the vision for the company for that year and some objectives as a corporate conglomerate that we should seek to achieve. And I wrote them down and um, I was just intrigued. So when the, the speech was over, he opened the floor for questions. And I asked the question and I, I explained to him, I introduced myself. I told him I had just enrolled in school. I explained where I worked and who, you know, who I was. And I asked, I said, you know, we're a corporate headquarters. How do you get to, to a point where you are an expert at your job if you work for an electric, electric company and you don't know how electricity is made? Will there be tours or site visits so we can review the process and learn how electricity is made? So he kind of looked at me. He was quiet, you know. Obviously, due to some budgetary constraints, he we couldn't offer um, corporate tours. But you know, he he expressed interest in my point and in my curiosity of the product that we made. And you know, he noted that and he he thanked me for asking. So I felt really good about getting my interest out there. And, and just really paying attention and that the CEO heard what I had to say. Mind you, um, the spectrum, he's at the top of the spectrum and I'm working in the mailroom at the lower end of the spectrum. But he addressed me. He looked into my eyes and he was interested in what I had to say, nevertheless. And um, I, I appreciated that. So after the talk, I went back. I changed my clothes out of my suit and I proceeded to go back to my, perform my daily duties in the mailroom. So my boss came up to me and she's like, how'd it go? I'm like, it's great. Thank you for the opportunity. Her phone rang and that was his executive assistant calling my boss and telling her that I had been invited to travel with him that next week to give the speech at two plant locations so I could tour and view how electricity was made. Um, That kickstarted my opportunities at First Energy and essentially changed my life because from that day forward, opportunities 
with that company were filling in and it gave me a confidence that I can really become an engineer and I can do well. And it exposed me to um, what it would be like if I was able to finish school and graduate and what life as an engineer would be. And more importantly, I appreciate that the CEO saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Mm-hmm. So that's how it started. And i um, just forever grateful for that opportunity. And from that point on, um, it's been a really, really, really interesting, challenging, but blessed journey. Yeah. And you think about, I think about that, how that experience then led to what engineers call a co-op, right? And you're a first year engineering student, get a chance. Usually students co-op in year three, year four, you're co-oping in year one or two, right? Because, oh, I got a chance to go actually work in the field, right? And get paid. And weren't you in like rural Pennsylvania or something, Rochelle? (laughs) Yes, I was at um, Bruce Mansfield plant, um, which is in Moon, PA, right outside of Pittsburgh. Um, Yeah, it was a, I believe, an 800 megawatt coal generation plant in the middle of of rural PA, um, very different than I had ever experienced. Great people, they embraced me and I learned so much while I was there for my two co-op um, sessions, so um, yeah. When you did it early, like usually students are doing that way far into their engineering career. You did this in what, your second year or your third year? Um, This is actually my first year. I had literally been back at school. This was my second semester of my freshman year um, following Tiffin. So, yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge. So talk a little bit about, because we said in the in the read in that University of Akron was founded in the 1800s. Okay. Mm -hmm. Rochelle Forney was the second black woman ever in the history of that university to get an electrical engineering degree. And I still remember the conversation when the Cleveland Plain Dealer called you and said, we want to interview you. You're only the second. And da, 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 da. And you called me and said, so what do I say? And I said, well, just say nothing that's special about you. I said, I think you're special. Your family does. God does. But you're not the second because you're special. You're second because the system was broken for all the other Black women right? You were just blessed to have all these things and these opportunities and these people and this grace and and all of these things. But saying you're the second only means that there were a hundred, two, three, four hundred other Black women out there that couldn't do it because of the systems, not because of their ability, not because of all the things. So talk a little bit about some of the institutional and structural barriers that you faced in college and what were some of the systems and and resources that helped you navigate those and how you've tried in your life to kind of replicate that? Because I know you're all about giving back. So can you talk about that? So let's start off with um, some of the challenges I think that I had in, in college. It's a big opportunity for, you know, universities to, to think about. I was a non-traditional student. So, you know, I had to... Um, conform to provide fine child care. Um, and another issue would be, you know, financial aid. So I didn't have the best grades. 
Um, there were situations where I seed my way out of some classes. I feel like a lot of the scholarships were tailored to people that would have higher GPAs, which would make me not eligible for them. Um, so just paying the cost of tuition and and having resources to attend college and, and perform successfully without having to worry about how, how are we going to pay for this semester or am I going to be able to afford childcare because I have to work to put Timothy in school or even to the point to where you, you think of you get in the classroom and there's no one that looks like you, right? Because of lack of, um, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of, of African-American females in engineering. So it creates an imposter syndrome. And not because you can't do it, because you don't see other people around you that are doing it, and it creates a doubt within yourself. In college, you you deal with the biases um, of some of the other classmates. Maybe they've never interacted with an African-American female, but they have to get to learn you. So so on top of that, you're you're dealing with your day-to-day struggles. You're dealing with maybe some financial struggles as, as, as long as how are you going to pay for it, as far as how are you going to pay for college and, and um, your resources. But you're also dealing with feeling like, am I really capable because I don't see other people that look like me? And I feel like if, and, and it's funny because I look back now and I see there are more Rochelles, right? There are more of um, my friends, like say my more Kiages, more Leans, but at the time there was not. And so I'm, I'm very excited for the growth, but I agree. Um, it, it's a systemic, systemic issue because in order to succeed, you need certain things. And in order to see, you need a support system. So I'm grateful for the people and the the resources and the people that did support me because that's the only way I was able to get through. And as you said, I don't, I definitely don't think it was me. It was people uplifting me, people encouraging me, people helping me, people taking me under their wing that the village that basically um, enabled me to finish my electrical engineering degree. When I remember we were talking off mic about this time of the semester, because this is week 12, okay? And we're going to put Rochelle on blast because she's now about to be um, master degree having Rochelle Forney. And nobody cares what the grades are now, right? Because I'm here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this time of the semester, Rochelle would always come in my office crying. I cannot do it. Sobbing. Like, I cannot do it. And we would always listen. We'd always give space and it was just getting it out. Okay, I feel you, but we don't have any choice. This is what we're going to do. So it's always in what what we built. And Rochelle, talk a little bit about the program and some of the things that looking back now, um, shout out to the Choose Ohio First scholars out there and, and the great team that helped build 
that programmatic model in the state of Ohio, that at the University of Akron was boasting an 88% graduation rate with STEM. National is 45. Let's just be clear. So these were students who were first gen and low income and a bunch of misfits, like Rochelle said, non-trads. I mean, it was a whole mess of students. And the beauty was these students had what I think was community. Rochelle, talk about some of those tenants that looking back, you now see as, oh, those were the things that really helped carry me through. As Adam alluded to, um, I would have a break every time during preparing for finals every semester. The pressure would be on. But, you know, Choose Ohio First created a family structure. And not only were we a family, but you had like-minded, good people that were going through what you're going through. And I think that one of the challenges I had in the classroom was I didn't see anyone that I felt was going through what I was going through. But in Choose Ohio First, I had a, a whole group of students and traditional and non-traditional that I bonded with, that I knew was going through a similar experience. And it created a family and that family would encourage me. Um, I found mentorship in the family. And then we even had the mandatory social events because I go to First Energy from like six in the morning to like one, leave First Energy, go to University of Akron, go to class until about five or six, pick Timothy up. Like the social events created a mandatory experience where I had to just stop. Everyone would be there and we get to fellowship. And it's funny because I <laughs> I remember like, you know, when you hear mandatory, it's like you always think about things people don't want to do. But these mandatory events became events you look forward to. Well, I think one of the pieces that we looked at when we built the program's infrastructure is that at a campus that's largely commuter, like a school like Akron, so many students are driving through education that back then they weren't using words like belonging. We, we now know that students belonging is important on a college campus, but in especially in fields like STEM, where the students are so focused on the academics and they don't understand that belonging is just as important because you have to have that runway to success, right? You have to have that community. So we would create every semester, we take a calendar and we take events that were already happening on campus. We weren't doing our own thing. They're already happening. Students are already paying for this stuff. And we would just say, okay, we're going to pop some popcorn before the movie, and you can come play Jenga as a group and hang out, and then we'll all go to the movie that's already playing on campus together. If you are a non-trad, you could bring your partner. Rochelle could bring Timothy anytime she wanted, and it was just a way to intentionally build community and water roots deep and wide. Because we know that studying is hard. We know pursuing those fields are hard. And so then what happens is if you don't have connections of other people to hold on to and your roots aren't going deep in the system and you aren't, you don't have a village or a community, then you get blown over really easy. So it was really student success theory 101. But the truth is the students would look at it like, well, this is just going to an event. And yeah, they'd get a scholarship, but it was really done to create that village and community that a lot of research now in our work, Rochelle, has been done about, right? Is it is all about intentionally watering deep and wide. You can't just say, Rochelle, you belong here. 
what we have to do is ensure you belong. And if you're first gen and you're working at First Energy and you have a kid and you're doing all these things, it's hard to feel like you belong in higher ed. And so on top of being a black woman in electrical engineering, we had to force that deep and wide by watering it that way. It is important to be intentional and, you know, um, prioritize that village mm-hmm. fellowship, because I think that that was definitely one of the keys to success for me completing my undergraduate degree, for sure. Well, and then for you, let's just be clear. There are a bunch of young women, Black women, who have electrical engineering at Akron, because electrical engineering degrees because of Rochelle. So Chantella and Asia and all of these young women looked up to Rochelle, right? Because they saw it. Oh, if Shelly can do it, we can do it, right? And But they just didn't see her in a class or two. They saw her with her, her son. They saw her at socioculturals. So then you are loving on and you're working together as a group. Those are the pieces that I think that that program built that now, right, schools are trying to emulate every day. It's, it's trying to create intentional belonging for students. Some of the, the challenges in some of these programs is so-called weed out courses, right? And I'm still remembering your statics professor, right? And I remember you and I talking about him and I couldn't talk to him because if I would have talked to him, he would have just been harder on you. And I remember telling you, saying to you when we we're in air hall, does he know that you're a whole mom with a kid and that works at First Energy? Well, no, why would that matter? Because he's just looking at you like you're a student. This is a statics professor. He has no idea what you have on your plate. So he is looking at your academics like you are eat, breathing, and sleeping school, but you have all these other things. And I remember saying to you, but you have to tell him. You have to say, you're not asking for any favors. You're just asking for him to understand that you have this whole deep, rich life that is different from somebody who's living in the residence hall and mommy and daddy are paying for school. Talk a little bit about some of the barriers on the academic side that just some of that advocacy, self-advocacy helped you kind of navigate a little bit. Okay. um, Yeah. So my nickname was the retake queen. (laughs) I had to retake. Oh my goodness. There's several classes that I had to retake, let's just say. But you know, um, that's where I learned my resilience, right? And I didn't give up, but I didn't want professors to look at me as a charity case because I had a kid. You know, I didn't want them, I didn't want to tell them I was a mother because I didn't want them to hold me in a regard that wasn't equal to the rest of the students in the classroom. But I honestly believe that, you know, um, to to tell them my story would have probably gave them more understanding. Not that they would have, um, it would have changed anything, but at least they would have known I was trying. Um, and I, and, and had a full perspective or the whole picture of, you know, what I was responsible for. But I'll tell you this, I think that, Retaking classes and having um, a non-traditional workload made me resilient 
And some of the skills I acquired from going through the motions helped me later throughout my career. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, as students are going through these weed out courses, right, that are designed to basically um, hold them or fold them, um, it's, it's not easy. But that's where you build your resilience. And it's designed to say, hey, you know what, I'm not for this, just go ahead and give up. But the ones that make it through, continue on and proceed. And I remember a professor telling me this, if you get through this class and you pass it, you don't ever have to take it again. And I know that may seem obvious in saying it, but when you're going through it and you're fighting to get through the end, if you could rehearse that to yourself, it will give you motivation to just want to succeed so you don't have to take it, coming from the words of the retake queen. It really helped because at the time you're leading and helping and managing the renewable energy division for first energy, right? The professor didn't know that either. Forget about I'm a mom. Okay, that's important. But I'm out here in the field practicing the work. I did a co-op in my first year, right? So him to under him, her, whoever, they to understand no different from I have a learning challenge or I need to sit in the front row because of my eyes or I have narcolepsy and sometimes I fall asleep. Having people know that your story is a little bit deeper than they're assuming it to be creates some layers and nuance to, because people choose to be faculty for a variety of reasons, but you telling that story and owning that story, and it isn't just the story of I'm a mom. It's also the story that I'm out here working full-time and I'm not working full-time at Chick-fil-A. Nothing wrong with that. I'm working for First Energy because I did two co-op rotations and then they hired me. Beyond the mailroom, essentially renewable energy division, right? And so giving that professor, those people, some of that feedback, but it would have been hard for you to do that if it, if you didn't have people who taught you how to self-advocate. And you don't know, but that professor, we'll call him Dr. E. He and I did have a conversation. Do you know who this is? I mean, and I normally wouldn't do that, but in this case, and I think he appreciated it. I said, I know Black don't crack, but this is not an 18-year-old. This is a grown woman who has all these things and this deep, rich life that you are holding to a different standard. And she is a practicing engineer, essentially. Not engineer in the big case, but engineer in the low case. One of the biggest challenges is we would sit with companies like Ford and companies like Lockheed Martin and companies that were looking for engineers. And they would describe my students. The challenge is the program. Studying engineering is different from practicing engineering. And all of the qualities that the businesses were looking for was the things that people like you and gifts that y'all had. Resilience, ability to communicate, ability to lead teams, ability to think abstractly, ability to solve problems, ability to be have solutions, to work with diverse groups. All of these ideas, none of them had to do with what grade you got in statics or dynamics, right? But the difference and talk about the difference, especially in engineering, between the difference in studying 
to be an engineer. And now you have X number of years in the game and doing the work, like being an actual engineer. How do those things differ? And how is, because you say you were the retake queen in, in studying engineering, but in being an actual engineer, you're killing it. So talk about how institutions can do a better job of elevating the folks that are exactly the people that companies like Ford and others are looking for. It's interesting because I have been involved in some recruiting activities, right? So you're at the career fair and you meet all the, the, the students, they're eager to pursue. But you're right, you do need a balance. You do need to have a balance. Um, you know, the coursework, having having a 4.0 GPA in engineering does not equate to balance. <laughs> it's it, Unless you're just, you have an immense social and communication capability and you're just genius IQ and you just get it. I tend to find that more of, and not all, because I, I definitely believe there are some people that have 4.0 GPAs that can communicate well and balance the social life. Um, it's far of a few, but there are some. Um, it Having a 4.0 GPA doesn't necessarily say you can communicate. It doesn't necessarily say you can lead a team and work across the team. It doesn't necessarily say you have the social skills to enter the corporate workplace and be successful. I think that Engineering has taught me my coursework. What what it did teach me was how to how to finish a project, how to be thorough and complete an assignment, and not half step, um, or to really diversify and look at different outlooks and perspectives on how to solve a problem or an application problem. Um, but I wish that there was more preparation of social and communication skills, soft skills given in college, because that's what's really key. Um, a lot of times, a lot of engineering students are more introverted naturally. So it could be an issue um, and they won't communicate unless you ask them. So I think that when you when you translate GPA and grades on paper, it doesn't always equate to immediate success in corporate America. Um, my coursework did prepare me to, to problem solve, but in my day-to-day -day task at work, most of my work is associated with soft skills, communicating, um, knowing who can resolve, who can help me, be, becoming resourceful, time management, making sure that I prioritize. Well, and there's so much of my work that people will say, I just can't do the politics. Look, I always tell younger professionals, just substitute the word relationships for the word politics. Because that's really all, all politics are. That's all they should be. Now, this messy, nasty crap that's been going on lately, that's a whole different world. But it's really just how can we work together? How can I help you win? You know what? I'd much rather deal with you than anybody else. Let's just be vulnerable, honest. Let's let's get it done together. Let's support each other, right? Um, we don't have to be friends, but let's get it, right? Um, and having that ability 
one of the things some of our alums said to me after our first couple of groups graduated was, you know, that the program, we did a great job of helping students get to and through college and become engineers. We needed to do a better job of preparing them to be professionals. Because so many of our students, because they were first gen, people of color, Appalachian, all the things, thought, oh, when I get this degree, then the work is over. Oh, no, bro, the work's just starting. You get that degree, now you're going to have to deal with even more of the isms and all of the things. Talk about some of the challenges that you would have told Rochelle when she's walking out of undergrad, finally getting that degree, this is what you're going to face when you're now a Black woman who is an electrical engineer in a corporate space, who has to work to navigate the environments that not only were not built for you, but to be honest, were at times built to keep you out. I would have told Rochelle, biases are meant to be broken. And when I say that, saying if a person has a former perception of a demographic or a majority of people, if one person of that majority is different or poses a different perspective than the bias, then you can change the thought of the person that holds it. People don't expect you to know everything coming out of college. Ask questions, be vulnerable, take advantage of your learning you're learning innocence. <laughs> Be humble. Listen. Listen not to speak, but listen to understand. So many people listen to speak. But I learned that when I listen to understand, I do better. All right, Forney, I'll see you later. Keep in touch, okay? Oh, thank you so much. Love okay. you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between me, Rachel Hansen, and Adam Smith. If you want to hear more from Adam, visit his website, hearadamspeak.com, where you can book him to speak at your organization and hear more about what he has to say about what we talk about here on the show. Now, if you want to support the show itself, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. You can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, send us an email, or share an episode with a friend. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.